Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health features industry guests and panelists who explore topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Mindy McGrath, Healthcare Industry Advisor at Dynamic. The onset of COVID-19 and its rapid spread across the globe presents uncertainty today. It's an anxious time for everyone as every aspect of daily life has been disrupted. As measures like social distancing settle into our everyday life, businesses are contending with a myriad of decisions about when and how to move forward thoughtfully to ensure their employees' health, safety, and well-being, along with business livelihood. In this episode, we're discussing the considerations of a phased approach to re-entry into the workplace. I'm joined by my dynamic colleagues, Ryan Hummel, Hey, everybody. And Chris Savage. Hello. To talk about the numerous considerations healthcare organizations have when transitioning into the next phase of a crisis that has really upended business-as-usual standards. Short of a vaccine, there will be no back to normal once the current virus outbreak subsides. And Chris, as disruptive as this has been, is there opportunity for businesses to take a pause and consider what the way we work looks like in the future? So yes, Mindy, uh, when I think about COVID-19 and, and returning to the workplace, you know, it's a complex process, um, but I think it's gonna require organizations to really evaluate the ways that they've worked previously, the ways that they've been working uh, over this time where, where most of us have been in a work from home environment, and really think about the new models for engaging among one another and with our customers. You know, regardless of, of what we did prior to the viral outbreak, um, we've all settled into a remote environment. For many of us, we've been now working at home for four, five, six, or even longer weeks. And over that time, I've seen many people go through the, the change curve, where first you don't like it, then you get a little bit depressed, then you might even cry a little bit before you start to come out the other side and really start to, uh, to embrace these new ways of working. So, and, and we've seen that through... Uh, people going from teleconferences over to video conferences. We've seen that with people um, embracing having their kids and their dogs and their life enter into the workway, work world in, in completely new ways. But as we start to think about how we get back into to work, there's really going to be three pieces that we need to think about. There's going to be external, so that's government support services, schools. There's going to be internal and the infrastructure that we have in place. And then there's going to be the personal, things like emotional, um, care settings, who you take care of, who you live with, um, and then how you sort of manage all of those type of um, characteristics to maintain morale and productivity. Um, so Chris, you talk about inter external, internal, and personal. Can we talk a little bit more about what that actually looks like and how it shows up? Sure. So when we think about external, the, the first place that I always go to is thinking about uh, the government and their role, uh, the role that they have played in organizations um, going into a mostly, where possible, remote working model. Um, when we think about the recent guidelines that the White House has established to open up America again, they've created a three-phase program with stage gates in between each of those phases to return to work. But what's interesting is, the, the, uh, the federal government has actually allowed states or empowered states to make a decision on when they enter those phases, and as long as they meet the minimum criteria, how they progress through those different phases. 
And when we think about the phases, the, the, the interesting part is the stage gates. So there's a couple of criteria to move from gate to gate to gate. The first being the downward trajectory of influenza-like and downward trajectory of COVID-like syndrome for 14 days, downward trajectory of documented cases within a 14-day period, or downward trajectory of positive tests as a percentage of total COVID-19 tests within a 14-day period, and guarantees that hospitals can treat all patients without crisis care, and there's robust testing programs in place for at-risk healthcare workers. So when we think about those criteria, um, that will allow you to enter phase one, then progress to phase two, and progress to phase three. And obviously, as you go from phase one to two and two to three, the assumption is that you've not had any kind of rebound in any of those different criteria uh, that would demonstrate potentially an um, increase in um, COVID-19 cases. Right. So this really sets up the framework, right, to enable businesses to make the determination around um, what the criteria is for them externally to consider uh, reopening their, their workplace. And then it turns to internal. That's correct. And so if you think about it, in the last uh, couple of days, we've had a few states come out and say that they're actually going to start reopening towards the end of April. And at the same time, we've had some other states that have been extending their stay-at-home orders from end of April all the way into the middle of May. So we're seeing a, already a divergence in how the different states are thinking about uh, or going to progress through each of these stages. So when we shift our focus to internal, when we think about moving through phase one and phase two, employers are required to limit gatherings in main areas and maintain social distancing. In many organizations or many offices, organizations have actually moved to hoteling and open space. And that may actually require physical changes to be required to allow people to come back to work or potentially process changes that allow employees to work more effectively when they're sometimes in the office and sometimes needing to, to work from home. So then finally, let's, let's talk a little bit about personal. So in looking at the government guidance, employees who care for at-risk populations are recommended to self-isolate in an ongoing fashion from a vulnerable person throughout phase one and phase two. Unfortunately, that's often not possible. So it might require some of those individuals who care for um, at-risk populations to continue to avoid the workplace and protect those that they care for. And what's interesting is the list of vulnerable patients, it's not small. Individuals with underlying serious health conditions can include high blood pressure, chronic lung disease, diabetes, obesity, asthma, and those whose immune system is compromised by, by treatments such as chemotherapy for cancer and other conditions requiring such therapy. So it really turns into quite a large uh, number of individuals that are potentially at risk for, for COVID-19. Yeah, and I think there's an aspect of the personal piece of it too, which is like allowing employees to, to figure out what works for them, right? And, and understanding that there'll be probably a natural hesitancy to um, want to come into the office um, for a variety of reasons. So it's, some of it is like trying to marry in some of those, the emotional context and the, the cultural aspects of, of this as well. Yeah, Mindy, that's a great point. When you think about the cultural aspects, many companies have set up their, their offices in a way that actually promotes um, interaction and collaboration. And when you, when you come back to the office and you see 
um, snack stations shut down or potentially moving away from water coolers to, to plastic water bottles. Or frankly, you see people wearing masks or being told to sit every other, other desk in an open space environment. That can have an emotional impact on, on team members. And one thing that managers and, and employers need to think through is um, every individual is going to cope with those, uh, those feelings very differently. So, and you know, when I, when I think about um, managers out there, really, you know, how they show up for their, their people um, and how they deal with um, all the different conditions, I think that's where we're really going to see an, an interesting dynamic in, in the manager's role in, in creating, a pro, creating productivity during this time um, as we move through the four phases of, um, of reentry. So initial reopening, then into you know, time with pre-vaccine, post-vaccine, and then preparing for, for the future pandemics. Yeah, Chris and, and Mindy, just a few thoughts about the, the triumvirate of the way we're looking at this internal, external, personal. I think stemming from a lot of the podcast conversations we've had in the past th throughout this series, we've been talking about how non-healthcare companies are leading the way and in, in helping bridge the gap to health companies across healthcare companies across each of the sector. And I think it's interesting to state that even though a majority of the population has been at home for, you know, as you mentioned, Chris, six, seven, eight weeks, there's a, there's a slice of the population, both in the healthcare setting and non-healthcare setting that has actually stayed at work. And they had to quickly, um, basically overnight create some sort of innovation or processes to enable the safety of their employees and caregivers to live in this world while still going to work. And health systems in particular are, have essential healthcare providers that have been still going to work, nurses, administrators, physicians, um, environmental service folks, um, along with grocery store workers. And I think it'll be very important for those industries and companies that re-enter the workforce in the coming weeks and months to take pages out of their books and use them as models of excellence. And some examples we've seen with our clients and with our friends are things like rotating uh, in office leadership so that not everyone in the office is there at the same time and doing it in a thoughtful way. And you know that sounds um, in one aspect tough um, and hard to swallow, I guess, from a, you know, you wanna see the your coworkers who you spend a lot of time with, but it is also an opportunity for you to lead more effectively and efficiently as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, as Mindy earlier mentioned, you know, this, th there, is no, no, there is no longer a normal way of life. We're going to have to really change the way we do things. It'll be interesting to see how we draft off of some of these great practices the healthcare sectors are doing. Yeah, Brian, I think some of those ideas, right, play right into this idea of this um, staggered or phased um, return approach that Chris had mentioned, um, especially upon initial reopening and some of the considerations that organizations um, need to have, right, and to enable an orderly return to work. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah Mindy, um, you know, and, and I teased this a, a few moments ago, but when Dynamic is thinking about the, the return to work, we're actually thinking there, there's four phases, right? So the first one is, is initial reopening. And, the, and there's a lot of folks that are focusing on that right now. And it's how do we, can, how do we figure out that orderly return to work um, for team members, but also for vendor partners, 
um, for um, you know, a lot of our customers, um, how do they deal with field force, whether that is um, life sciences organizations that are, that are re-engaging their field force to go out and visit customers, whether that's um, healthcare practitioners that are going to be um, potentially seeing um, field force members, whether that's sales reps, medical science liaisons, so forth and so on. So figuring that piece out is, is critical and, and really setting expectations for how we we're going to work um, over the next you know three six nine months, you know from there once we get through that initial sort of hurdle of, of reopening, then you've got this whole pre-vaccine phase. Um, you know when I when I think back to like the swine flu pandemic of, of two thousand nine, um, there was there was a vaccine that was approved within three months of uh, the WHO uh, announcing the pandemic. And there was millions of, of vials of vaccine that were available shortly thereafter, I think within three to six months. You know, in, in our case, um, the vaccine is, is probably not going to be approved until best case scenario sometime in the late fall, winter, potentially even into the spring of 2021. And so we're going to have this long period of time where we're back to work in some semblance of a, of a new normal. Um, where you have large swaths of the population um, that haven't necessarily um, you know, gained immunity either through having um, contracted and survived COVID-19 or through, uh, through a vaccine. And so we're gonna have to be thinking about things like hoteling, cleaning, uh, commuting, really thinking about um, the worker's entire sort of daily journey, how they get to work, what they do at work and how they get home and the potential implications of that. Um, then you start to think about, you know, phase three, which is that, that post-vaccine. And so uh, the post-vaccine phase is a little interesting because um, we're going to have a lot of time to build up new cultural norms as we go through this pre-vaccine phase. And, and the shorter that is, maybe the more uh, we return to, to what a, a pre-COVID-19 environment looked like. But the longer that is, the more established those norms start to become, um, we might not be able to ever return back to what things were, you know, in, in January of 2020 or February of 2020, right? Um, coincidentally, then, I, th I think the fourth piece is really about future preparedness. Um, so what can we do now as we go through this initial reopening and pre-vaccine um, to prevent the productivity and the financial impacts that we experienced dur during COVID-19? Um, no one really wants to be thinking about the next wave right now, um, but if we can get ahead of it and really start thinking about that, what that next outbreak could look like and how you transition back and forth seamlessly between uh, an on-site and an off-site model, um, I think we'll be better prepared the next time this potentially happens. Yeah, so you think about, um, you know, I think back to just earlier this year, right, when executives had to pivot very quickly and create almost like new types of operating models um, in response to, you know, the way that we were working in, in this pandemic. Um, so when you think about the, the phases, right, and then think about, well, how do we get there? It sounds to me like some of what we're talking about is really, once again, looking at your operating model and then coming up with um, an approach that helps you either get through this transition period over the next, let's just say, three months to, you know, maybe a couple of years, um, and then embedding that into the organization. Yeah, Mindy, that's a, that's a great point. Um, and when I think about operating models, you know, sometimes an, an operating model can be a, a scary project because it's, um, it's big and it's onerous and it takes months and months to, to go through and develop. Um, 
And I, I think in this scenario, we really want to focus on what a streamlined operating model could be. Um, so often when you start with an operating model project, you start with your business strategy. What are you trying to achieve? Where are you trying to go? Um, I think, you know, in, in some circumstances, the, um, this COVID-19 situation may cause you to rethink what your business model is or, or how you want to, um, how you want to operate. But in a lot of scenarios, it, it may just be more of a question of how has COVID-19 evolved who we are as a company? Um, and just very quickly getting a, a quick understanding or almost recertifying um, that what you did before is, is what you do now. Once you get through that process, um, a quick process of, of, of process mapping where you think about how the remote model has changed the ways of working, both internally and within our customers, um, and really keeping it again focused on what has been impacted, what processes have changed and what haven't as a result of remote working, and then addressing how you want to, um, how you want to handle those processes moving forward. Um, from a decision-making standpoint, um, how might that need to adjust to accommodate these new ways of working that have happened? Um, you, when, when you've got people in a remote model, as an example, it's not necessarily as easy to have the sidebar conversations or the water cooler conversations. And so making sure you can continue to be efficient with decision making is going to be critical when you have a little bit more of a structured or, or rigid um, communication style across the, the technologies that are out there. Um, additionally, KPIs, so that's sort of the, the four step of performance management. Um, one, we need to think about what KPIs we're monitoring um, to ensure that we're continuing to be successful. And then I think it's also important uh, to set new benchmarks. You know, um, what I think specifically about uh, life sciences and, and, um, and selling resources, you know, quite often they have engagement metrics. And when you're engaging in a, in a live model where you can show up in an office, it might be a little different um, when you think about needing to set up a, um, a remote detail in some way or engaging with physicians in a remote model. And then finally, from a cultural perspective, um, I think there's two pieces of this. One, it's, it's how do you embrace and foster the new cultural norms that have evolved within the business? And two, when you think about the health and well-being of your employees, thinking about how you can make sure that uh, employees are, are protecting their, their outside of work life as well. And specifically what I'm referring to is when you're working from home, it's very easy for the morning to bleed into the afternoon to bleed into the evening and making sure that you're setting up cultural expectations or cultural norms to ensure that, that, that your employees can stay healthy in mind, body, and balance um, is, is hugely critical as you go through this time. Hey, Chris, I think those are some great kind of operating model principles for the future. And I think also, if you look at kind of the way that this COVID-19 kind of hit during a season and a session where Many health systems are closing out their quarter three and quarter four years, and they're used to things like budget adherence and budget building as you enter the spring and summer and strategic planning for the next year to three to five years. This, this definitely threw a monkey wrench into the, those planning exercises because many of the senior leaders, not just at health systems, but healthcare technology and health plans and life sciences have had to reprioritize their ways of working to dedicate time to managing this COVID-19. And so understanding this mini operating model kind of uh, tutorial that you just gave will really help them in crafting a really smart, short, mid and long-term strategy for the future. So appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was just gonna say, I, th I think Ryan, like building off that point too and building off of that, the process points that you, or the, the elements that you talked about, Chris, to me, organizations that are thinking about um, 
the reopening aspect of their business, you know, clearly it has to be done in a thoughtful manner, but it also feels to me like agility is almost an underpinning of all of this. Like the agile nature in which you think about strategy, process, decision-making metrics and culture um, will probably evolve as, as you know, we, we start to progress through this um, and start to progress through those phases. And so organization mindset, right, um, and approach should have an agile nature to it. I mean, absolutely. You know, it, we would be remiss, you and me, Mindy and Chris, welcome aboard on not mentioning telehealth. You know, if you would have mentioned telehealth in January and February as it part of a strategic planning process, we would say, oh, yeah, it's still it's still up there. It's something that we need to, to really focus on. But um, and in just two months, two months time. Now, all healthcare sectors are really going to have to prioritize that as maybe the top one, two, or three things. And Chris, you mentioned experience and engagement uh, changing overnight. And, you know, with patients not seeing many of their physicians face-to-face, those engagement scores and the way we look at them, just like commercial business and a life science company seeing their, their physicians changes the way you measure, look at, and address them and the way you do business. So, it's it's something we'll have to keep our eye on and these changing priorities are happened overnight and um, new revenue streams and new issues and, and, and opportunities emerged quickly. Sure. And you're right. It's, it's interesting when you think about telehealth. Um, they had, it feels like telehealth organizations had started to get into sort of a niche of what they provided. Um, and now they're also having to evolve their models as well. So Chris, thanks for joining us today. I, I definitely think there is um, a lot of things that, that organizations need to consider as they start to uh, move into this next phase of dealing with, with the outcome of, of COVID-19. And to learn more about our thinking on this topic, uh, feel free to visit the Vynamic website and you can read our insight entitled COVID-19 Business Response, Phase 1, The Initial Reopening. So this wraps up our episode on Trending Health, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in to listen. Um, for links to resources discussed in this episode, or to subscribe to Trending Health Podcast and explore if Dynamic can help you and your company managing, manage ongoing healthcare industry change, please visit us at trendinghealth.com. Thank you all and be well.